Today we are actually wrapping up our series called Made to Endure. And our tagline is that endurance is not just the ability to bear a hard thing, but uh, to turn it into glory, but to turn it into glory. So I'm thrilled to have all of you with us today. And, and if you want, you can follow along in your Bibles in Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, if not, everything I read is going to come up on the big screen behind me. You can follow along if you'd like. We've, we've been doing, this is actually week six, six weeks of our Made to Endure series. And if you've missed any of it, um, you're welcome to catch up online at our DoralVineyard.org website or on our app, Doral Vineyard, and you can, you can hear any of the messages of the last five weeks. They've been a lot of fun. We've had some special speakers. Pastor Nina came up and spoke. Nick came and spoke, and it's, it's been a great time. We had a blast together. So today's title of the message, I'm calling it Be Deliberate. Be Deliberate. So can everybody say be deliberate? All right. Um, so I think it's really interesting to me how many things we are not deliberate about and how many things we are deliberate about. I remember when my wife and I uh, first found out we were pregnant, we, um, we waited until we found out the gender of the baby. And once we found out the gender of the baby, we were like, okay, now we got to set up the room. And I didn't know this. We had to set up the room, and it has themes. I didn't know if you knew this, guys. Maybe girls knew this, but guys, there's themes. You can actually, like, theme out a whole room. Our theme was Noah's Ark, and so we got bed sheets and comforters and pillows and lampshades. Did you know there are Noah's Ark lampshades? We got lampshades. I had no idea, and we got all of this stuff, and we took classes, birthing classes, and, you know, how to swaddle the baby, and all this stuff. We took all these classes to get ready. We were very deliberate about trying to get ready for this baby, but what we failed to do was to take classes about parenting. What do we do after the baby comes? I have no idea, and there's no manual, no book. You just got to wing it. What? And so, you know, but we're, so we're deliberate about some things, but we're not deliberate about other things, and I remember when, when our baby, our, our first baby was born, you know, it was, we were so careful with germs, and you know, the passy, the bobo, you know, the pacifier, um, when it would fall on the floor, at first we were like, throw that out, you know, it's on the floor, you cannot put that back in his mouth, you know, and we'd throw it out, and then after a few months, you know, it was like, oh, it fell on the floor, here, come, come over here, just grab it, and you just like wash it off, and you put it back in his mouth, you know, and then after a few more months, you're like, you know, uh, you're, you have the other baby, you have the other baby, and unfortunately, the other baby, you're not quite as deliberate about what theme, where are we going to put the babies more like it, you know, we don't have, let's put them in a drawer, right here in the drawer, we have no other place, we don't know what to do with the baby, and, and so you're less deliberate, you know, when his pacifier falls out, you know, you're like, oh man, it, it fell, you know, at that point, you grab it, and you just put it in the other kid's mouth to lick off the germs, and then you put it in his mouth, right, I mean, it's like, you're not as deliberate about the germs and crazy about it as you used to be, right? How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? You'd have to admit to it, but how many of you know what I'm talking about? It's, it's not a, you don't have as many pictures as you did with the first baby, and the second baby's like, what happened? And you're like, you were adopted. I mean, you weren't. It just seems like it because we don't have all these pictures of you, but... But yeah, so we're, we're deliberate about stuff, but we're not so deliberate about other things, and it's funny because I think we're not deliberate a lot of times about things that matter most. And what I've learned is that if we're not deliberate about those things that matter most, then we will be unintentionally or accidentally allowing things 
to our children, allowing things to happen, to just happen, that are actually hurting. And so I wanted to spend a few minutes just talking about three things that actually hurt rather than help. Three things that actually hurt, that we think are helping, but in reality, they're, they're actually hurting. And we want our children to be a success. We're, we're talking about made to endure and, and trying to turn this thing into glory and, and trying to teach our children and trying to teach not just my children, right? Because they're not my children and they're not your children. They're what? They're, yeah, our children. So we're, we're trying to, how, how do we do this? So there's three things I thought of that I wrote down that, that actually hurt instead of help. The first thing is that we compliment them on something that isn't fitting, we compliment them on something that isn't fitting. We say, great job. You are the best in the world at that. And you're the most amazing, that's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And what we're doing is that we overpraise our children sometimes. We overpraise them and we're giving them an inaccurate view of reality. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, just watch the tryouts of American Idol. Just watch those tryouts. And somebody somewhere told them something that simply was not true, right? You're really good. You're, and then you watch the tryouts on American Idol, and you're like, who was lying to them, right? Who was telling that person that they're that good? Somebody told them something. You're the best of the best of the best of the best. And the truth is, nowhere near that. After a while, we train we train them that they can only perform for praise. And ultimately, they learn not to trust us because all we do is we praise and we praise and, and, and we praise them on stuff that simply isn't true. It's just not true. And so we're trying to help them, but we give them too much praise and praise they don't deserve. The second thing is that we reward them for things that they didn't work for. We talked a little bit about this during week two of our series, Made to Endure, but we reward them for things that they simply didn't work for. For example... Your kids have a birthday, and they turn two years old, right? And, and it, you know, here in our society, in our culture, it's getting a little out of control. When we throw birthday parties for our two-year-olds and our three-year-olds, huh? I mean, we don't just get the bounce house. We get the moon bounce and the, you know, the flame throwers and the DJ, right? We have to have the DJ at the party. And we, we see these stuff on, on, on Pinterest, Pinterest and we think we got to do this. So we get the magician, right? And the pony rides. We go a little bit over because we want them to have the best party in the world that they'll never, ever forget at two years old which they'll never forget it because they'll never remember it. That's why they'll never forget it, right? And then when they turn 10 or 12 or 14 years old, we get them the $300 what? Mobile device in our society and in our culture. And we give them a free data plan as well so they can just get whatever and listen to whatever as long as however they want to. And I don't know about where uh, we're all from, but in our countries, I think we don't see this as much, but here in our society, in our culture, when our child turns 16, what do they get? I get a car, a, a really nice car, probably a better car than the teachers that go to the school that they go to drive themselves. They get, I, I've driven past high schools, and I see Beamers in the student, you know, the BMWs in the student parking. I'm like, what? What in their right mind, you know? And so we give them these things that they simply didn't work for. And so in, 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 unintentionally, instead of helping them, we, we help them inherit a spirit of entitlement 
that they deserve stuff that they never should have gotten. The third problem is that we permit too many liberties that aren't appropriate for them. We permit too many liberties that aren't appropriate for them. We give them freedoms that they really can't handle. And so what we say to our eight-year-old is, you can play whatever video game you want to play, right? Whatever video game you want to play, you can play. You can stay on the internet, on your tablet, as long, and you can have all access on your internet, on the internet, and watch whatever you want to watch, and stay as long as you want to stay on the internet, right? When they're 15-year-old, we let them, the girls, go on dates, you know, I was talking to a dad recently who told me that, uh, that he would never let his 15-year-old daughter, or any, he had a few daughters, three, and he would never let any of his daughters go on dates when they were 15 years old. And he said, I never told, when they were older, I never told them, have fun. I told them, be bored, be dull, and be home at 9 p.m. That's what I would tell them when they would go on dates. I never let them go, because they're going out with a hormone with this walking hormone, and you have no idea. You don't want them to have fun. He would tell me that. Of course, he's a little bit joking, but at the same time, you know, we see this in our society. I think of the young lady that, you know, we're about to celebrate, I don't know, I think it's 12 years, Natalie Holloway. I don't know if you know that name or or recognize that name, but that young lady on her senior year in high school was allowed as a class trip to go to Aruba from Alabama. She lived in Alabama, and she went for her class trip to Aruba and never came back. She never came back. And this week, we're going to celebrate, I believe, 12 years of her disappearance. We give them too much freedom that they can't handle. You see what I'm saying? She never came back. And I'm not trying to blame anyone. I'm just saying in our society and in our culture, we do these things. And instead of trying, we think we're helping, but we're actually what? Hurting them. We're hurting them. Therefore, you know, what are some things, if we want to pass things on to our next generation, I I thought, that's why I thought of the title of this message, that we have to be deliberate about some things, because if we're not deliberate, if we're not deliberate, we're going to unintentionally allow things to happen that is actually going to hurt them instead of help them. So, if you have your Bibles, Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're going to look at this passage together. I want to show you three things that we're going to be deliberate about we're going to be deliberate about with the next generation. So let's start in verse 4, and we'll read through verse 9. A very, very rich, meaningful passage of Scripture, and here we go. Verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is known right here as the Shema, in case you didn't know. The, 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 the Deuteronomy is for the people, um, the people of Israel, the Jewish community. They, they valued highly the first five books, that, well, all of the Old Testament, but especially the first five books of the Old Testament. Deuteronomy is one of them. This part is a prayer that they would pray often and many times in the Jewish culture. And so this is a core prayer to a devout Jewish person of their faith, and it's in our Bibles as helpful as well. We can pray this prayer. It's a great, powerful prayer. Verse 5, they prayed, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. 7 says, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. And tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your homes and on your gates. 
three things that I want us to be deliberate about with the next generation to help them be a success. The first one, if you're taking notes, is so important. And number one is that we must be deliberate about our associations and the groups that we are part of. Be deliberate about our associations and the groups that we are part of. Verse 4, Deuteronomy chapter 6 says this again. It says, hear, O what? Let's all say this aloud. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Hear, O Israel. In other words, this is our national faith. Israel is talking to the whole nation. This is our national faith. This is not an individual faith. This is what we as a group of people, as a nation, believe. Hear, O Israel. We're about to lay it out for you, Israel. Here it is, right here. And what I loved about the Old Testament families, it's very different. In some of our countries where we're from, we see this, but not as often here in the States as much. Um, and so we see this, that, that they didn't just live with that idea like we live here in our culture of us four and no more. You know what I mean? Just mom, dad, and the kids, and that's it. We, this family unit in the time, in the Jewish culture and in the time of this writing, it was way bigger than that. It was way bigger. It wasn't just us four. It, in, in Old Testament families, it was much more broader than that. And in Old Testament family, it was literally a community of people who would live together and extend not to just a husband and wife and children, but it would be to the workers who served the family, the adult siblings that served, uh, that, that also had children, and then also the grandchildren. So when it's talking about a family community, we're talking about 80, 90, 100 people in the family easily would get together. They would even take over, they would even take other people who are not necessarily part of the family. If you were just near our community, you were near our neighbors, we would take you in, you didn't have any family, you would be part of our family. So it would be this, this literal group of people centered around faith in the one true God. Hero Israel. And there was strength in that association. In fact, if you were to press me and to ask me, Abdi, what was, you know, I see your life, you, were, you grew up in church, and, you know, I see how you're headed in the right direction. I'm headed in the right direction following God. I mean, not perfect, right? Not perfect, but I'm headed in the right direction. If you were to ask me, okay, Abby, I see your life. I see you're headed in the right direction. What would you say, what would you attribute is the most important thing in your life growing up that helped you, put you on the right direction? What was that one? And if you were to press me, I would tell you that my parents, they did, a, you know, they, 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 they did this. And especially, I would give credit to my mom, especially. My mom, she was very deliberate about, about putting me and putting my sister, our family, in communities. She, she basically created Christian community and deliberately allowed us to grow up through the years with a Christian community in our church. She would, she would find these communities and she would put us in this Christian community on purpose and help us grow together in this. And it's such a strength for me. Please hear me, if there's one thing that I would say that is the, the most valuable thing, I would say, you ever heard the saying, show me your friends and I will tell you your future? You ever heard that before? In Spanish, it says, dime con quien andas y te diré quien, what? Eres. One of my mom's favorite axioms of life. She would always say that over and over again as I grew up. Tell me who your friends are and I'll tell you who your, where your future is. 
And so, you know, this is, she deliberately created a very strong, tight-knit association of believers of faith that I grew up with throughout the years. And I noticed, I, I said it is deliberate, you guys, because faith-filled associations of people, it doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen by accident. It's not the world we live in, for the most part. If you're thinking, well, if my kid just goes to school, he'll find a group of people that will be faith-filled, and, and there they'll just grow up in their faith. It's not going to happen like that. You've got to be deliberate about who you're, they're associating, the group of people they're associating with, and the, the faith-filled community. It doesn't just naturally assemble. We have to be deliberate. In fact, what you have to assume is the exact opposite that community is not as important in our society, in our culture. Now we think our community is on social media, right? We say social media, that's how you build community. You build community that way on social media, which is important. I'll give that credit to that, social media. But there's nothing that can take the place of being face-to-face contact, having face-to-face, replace the intimacy of face-to-face community of faith. Nothing can replace that. And in our culture today, culture actually celebrates independence, especially in the country we live in. Way above community, they celebrate independence. In fact, for many parents today, that's what they would say. I just want my child to be independent. I mean, we don't want them to depend on anybody. We, we want them to be able to stand up on their own two feet, right? We don't want them to need anything. And I mean, in these United States of America, independence is one of the highest goals. It's one of the highest goals. But you need to understand this, and, and I want to say this, To be independent is to be distinctly non-Christian. To be independent is to be distinctly non-Christian. And I want to say it again because I'm preaching a lot better than you guys are responding. So (laughs) let me say it again, all right? To be independent is to be distinctly non-Christian because God created us to depend on Him. He created us to depend on others as a family of Christ. Scripture is rich with teachings of loving and how we should treat one another. In fact, the richest part of Christian faith is not an individual relationship with God, but a community of gathered believers strengthening one another, experiencing the presence of God, sort of like what we did this morning, sort of like what we did on Thursday night when we had our night of worship and prayer, and fasting, and those of you who are here, give me some feedback. What'd you think? Did you have a good time? You had a good time? It was good. We had a great time. We're experiencing the presence of God together in community, and you guys, the scriptures are chock full, chock full. Can everybody say chock full? Chock full of, of teachings on loving one another. Scripture teaches us to encourage one another. The Bible teaches us to become devoted to one another, to accept one another, to be patient with one another, to forgive one another, right? To submit to one another, to be kind and compassionate to one another, and to greet each other with a holy kiss or a smile. You can greet me with a smile. I'm good with that, all right? But all these one another's that we are to love and do life with one another. Do not miss the power of this. When you deliberately, and this takes time. We know this. It takes time. And and this takes effort and it takes prayer. When you're deliberately creating a spiritual association for your kids, everything changes. When someone tries to make fun of them and they say, oh, you don't drink? They're like, uh, well, actually, I, I don't drink, but it's not just me. 
it's my group of friends and my association of friends that don't drink. Oh, you, you don't, you, you don't want to, you know, stay up late and, 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 and have sex with other, no, actually, I'm, I'm, I don't want to do, and it's not just me, it's my group of people. I'm waiting for marriage, and, and I'm, I'm, wait, I'm wanting to be pure, not just physically, but also in my heart and in my mind. I, I, I'm sorry, and it's not just me. It's, it's hundreds and thousands and millions, dare I say, billions of people that for centuries and for a long time believed this whole thing about Jesus. You believe in Jesus, all this teaching stuff? Yeah, it's not just me. It's, it's thousands and billions of us that actually believe in this. Uh, we worship and serve God together. And here's the key. Suddenly, it's not just, and listen to me, it's not just my faith. It's our faith. It's all of us together. We're holding on. So when your child goes to college and they feel that, that temptation to give up their faith, they're, they're, they know that, wait a minute, I'm going to college and I'm, I'm here with other people, but I have a group of friends that, I've never, that I'm tight with that they may not be here in college with me, but we all still believe and we're still all going for broke with God. We still love God no matter what. So, so all those temptations become less powerful on us and, and we, don't distra- we don't become as so many students who when they go to college, they distance themselves from God. They don't have to do that anymore. The church stands ready, you guys, to be that group of association of people, to help us and be that community of people. That's why we don't just go to church. We are the church. And when you pour your life into it, you have community worth having. And, and the next generation never has to be, oh my gosh, they're going to criticize me for my faith. No, we stand together because this is our faith. And there are a lot of us, and we are stronger than you think. And we encourage one another, and we pray for one another, and we stand by one another. What do we need to do? We need to be deliberate. We need to be deliberate about the groups that we belong to and are part of. The second thing is, if you're taking notes, and oh my gosh, I love this much, this one so much. And, and, and the second thing is, we want to be deliberate about the level we want them to reach. We want to be deliberate about the level that we want them to reach, the level we want them to shoot for, the level we want them to attain. Look at verse 5 of Deuteronomy chapter 6. It says, love the Lord your God with what? I need everybody to help me out. Guys, in, in this section right here in the center, help me out. What does it say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. I didn't hear this section very good. I want to hear it one more time. With all your heart. Come on, you guys. And what? And help me out. And with all your? All right. And with what? And with all your? strength, all your might. We're going to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. Notice, it does not say whenever it is convenient, love God. It doesn't say, oh, you know, you don't have to give him a hundred percent. When your friends are making fun of you, and they're asking you if you really are, you know, a believer, you don't have to say yes. No, it says, Put this on full on. Go radical. All of your strength, all of your might, all of your heart. Be passionate about your commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a a level worth reaching and a standard worth achieving. Now, what I'm going to tell you about is going to shock you here. In the Old Testament, a child would actually memorize not just a Bible verse, uh uh, not just a book they would memorize, a child would memorize the first five books of the Old Testament before the age of 12. They had to know this whole, why? Why did they do that? Because somebody told them it was possible. 
In our culture, in our society today, we're like, just get one verse in you. But look, they got them a whole five books of the Bible, and they're not the most interesting. <laughs> Leviticus, what? Sacrifices and all this stuff. I mean, memorize all five books of the Bible because someone told them it was possible to do that. So when we give them a level worth reaching, it will shock you what they can actually achieve. It will shock you. The problem is today, we've dumbed down the levels in a way that they under-challenge this emerging generation. And that I'm so convinced that almost intuitively, they are insulted by it. And we're kind of like, come on. They're, they're saying, come on, give me something. I can shoot for something better. In fact, this is crazy. A hundred years ago, there was no such thing as teenagers. Did you know that? There was no, there, that word didn't even exist. There were no teenagers. In fact, the word teenagers came about after the, the Great Depression. And it was first used in Reader's Digest in 1941. Before that, for generations upon generations, there was just kids and adults. There were children and there were adults. That's it. Paul said this, he said, when I was a child, I thought like a child. I talked like a child. I acted like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. He didn't say, when I became a teenager, I looked like a man, but I acted like a kid. Uh-uh. He said, essentially, I, I acted, when I looked like a man, I acted like a man. And what we did is we essentially created a category of adults that we have for the most part, and this isn't true everywhere, but I think where we live in our culture and our society, that they have rights, but very few responsibilities. They have rights, but they have very few responsibilities. They have the right for freedom, and they have the right to drive, but they don't have the responsibilities that go with it. And it's to their detriment. In fact, I was reading about this this week, that there's actually, they actually created a word there's a new word in our, in our culture, in our society that's been created, and it's the word kid-dults. It's a real word, kid-dults, K-I-D-D-U-L-T-S, kid-dults. And it basically describes a 20-year-old, 28-year-old person that acts like a 14-year-old. They're having so much fun, but they're, they're, they're not maturing into adulthood. And for some of them, they're so afraid of their responsibilities that they're absolutely comfortable staying right where they are. And I'm convinced with all my heart that we have an emerging generation of 14-year-olds, of 15-year-olds, of 17-year-olds, of 18-year-olds, and they're saying, would you give me something to shoot for? And you're going to see something that you didn't know I had in me. If you would just give me something, you will never, you, you will be impressed. You, it, it would be rare. You're like, look, you would, I'm going to show you something you've never seen in your life. If you just give me something to shoot for. Think about Jesus. Jesus never lowered the standard for people. If anything, he raised the standard in the New Testament. You can see this. He would say, hey, in the Old Testament, they told you, do not murder. Forget that. Forget the do not murder part. I tell you, don't even think about doing it. Don't even, it says, you know, Jesus said, oh, you think that's good. Don't even, don't even hate. Forget about murder. Don't even hate. You've heard that Old Testament, you know, where it says, don't commit adultery. Forget that. I'm raising the standard. Forget committing adultery. I'm saying don't even look lustfully. He raised the standard, and it is rare that you will get any more than you, than you ask for. Anytime you ask for something, if, if you challenge the emerging generation, I believe with all my heart, you'll be shocked at what is lying dormant within them, waiting for the chance to come out, waiting to show you that they can do it. So if you're trying to build a work ethic, 
this summer as school gets out, you could say, okay, it's time for you to get a part-time job. That's, that's a good first step. Or you could say, hey, I'm going to help you create a business. I'm going to give you a sponge, a bucket, and some soap. And guess what we're going to do? Some flyers. We're going to pass them out in our apartment complex and say, I wash cars. And guess what? You just created a business, and I'm going to help you with that. What would that do to that generate That person, all of a sudden, they own a business. That young person owns a business. Start learning how to do this. This is, differently. this is different than the way we've taught them in the past. You know, you say people, you say to them, you know, I've seen you. I know you have what it takes. You can run this business. You got Christ dwelling within you. You can grow spiritually. And so when they come back to school in the fall, they say, hey, don't just be part of the crowd. Lead the crowd. Be the spiritual leader among your classmates. You can impact your teammates. You can impact your teachers. Because I see a minister inside of you. You're raising that level inside of them that they can reach. Instead of saying, hey, don't, don't drink and drive. Say, wait a minute. It's still illegal at your age to drink. So let's forget about drinking. Let's, let's concentrate on what God is asking us to do. Let's rise to a higher level. Instead of saying, hey, let's just go to church when we can. You know, when it's not really pretty outside, Let, let's just go to church whenever we can. If you're not too tired, let's just go to church whenever you can. No, let's raise the level and let's say, you know what? Let's go to church and let's, you're 12 years old now, you're 16, let's just not just go to church, let's be the church and let's just go there and serve because this is our group of people, this is our community that we're associating with. You know, you can be a leader in our student ministries. On Sundays, you can actually serve in the kids' church. You can serve here. Suddenly, you raise the level. And they're not just attending something, they're owning something. It becomes them. There's, there's a community built around them. Hey, kids. Hey, kids, you tell them. You know what? You can do this. You can raise this level. You, can, you, you don't have to just, you know, oh, you're 16 years old. Don't get pregnant. Don't get pregnant, okay? And, and if you ever have any hard time, just come and talk to me and I'll help you. No, say, I'm going to raise the level. Forget about you possibly getting pregnant. The Bible talks about purity, Forget about, let's, let's be pure in your, in, your physi- physical, in your physical body, in your mind, in your heart. Let's, let's raise the level. Let's go for broke. Let's love God with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength. Can somebody say yes? yes. Some of you are thinking, wow, Abdi, that's pretty old-fashioned. What? Not get pregnant, 16 years old? You're expecting them not to be physically involved with someone? Listen, you have no idea what this generation is capable of. When you just raise that level, they can reach. There is something dormant, passionate inside of them wanting to come out. They say, they're saying, believe in me. Let me loose. Watch me. I can show you something. Instead of going, oh, you're just a teenager. Wait until you, until you become an adult. That's when life will really happen. No, we say, no what? Go for it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You're not the Christian of tomorrow. You're the Christian of today. And your life matters for the glory of God. You have no idea what God can do through a 14-year-old until you raise that level and see what can actually happen. So what are we going to do? We're going to be deliberate with the next generation, okay? Because if we don't deliberately give the right things, we're going to accidentally, although with good intentions, we're going to give the wrong things. So what are we going to be deliberate about? We're going to be deliberate about our associations and the groups that we, that we belong to. We're going to be deliberate about the level that they can reach, that we want them to reach, not just the ones that they can reach, the ones we want them to shoot for. And the third thing is, if you're taking notes, is that we're going to be deliberate about replicating the value, their beliefs. We're going to be deliberate about the value of replicating our beliefs in them. 
We're, we're going to be deliberate with this next generation about the value of replicating our beliefs in them. Deuteronomy 6, 7, it says, and I love this, talking about the commands of God. We're going to impress them on our children. Notice, this isn't like preach to them or make them feel guilty. This is it, live in such a way where you're modeling this in front of them. Okay, we're going to model this for our children. We're going to impress them on this. How are we going to do this? We're going to talk about it all the time. When you sit at home, and when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up, we're going to talk about this. What does this mean for me? This implies that you will actually be with your children in the evenings. That's what it implies. You're going to spend time with them. That's what it implies. We're going to design our lives to where we're engaged with them. We're going to talk about it at dinner time. We're going to talk about it at bedtime. We're going to pray with them. We're going to talk about it in the morning. We're going to send them off to school, and we're going to pray before they go or wherever they go. We're going to pray with them. We're going to talk about it on their way to soccer practice, on their way to dance class, on their way to music, music class. We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it over and over again. We're going to talk about our beliefs. It's, it's who we are. We're going to show our faith and our beliefs in everything we do. Can somebody say yes? And here's the key. Above all else, here's the key. It's not real. If it's not real to you, chances are it's not going to be real to them because they're going to figure it out that you don't really believe this stuff. They can smell a fake anywhere. This generation wants authenticity. They want genuine authenticity, and they're going to see it. If you don't really believe it, they're going to see it. They're going to be, who faked? Who faked? They're not really believing this thing. Listen to me. Authenticity, and you don't have to worry about trying to be cool, trying to just say the right things, just trying to get to their level, be friends and buddy-buddy with them. Uh Uh-uh. Authenticity will always eclipse cool. If you're just real with them, they will respect that. If you're, if you're genuine about your faith, they will listen to you. You're faithful with your faith. If you're hypocritical, they're going to turn and run so fast away from you. They're like, look, look, you can say all you want to say. Say what you want to say. Oh, that's not that song for us today. But yes, you can say what you want to say, but they're not going to believe it. They're not going to believe it. So here's the bottom line. If you want them to be grounded in God's word, guess what they need to see? You seeking God in God's word. They need to see you. If you want them to be people of prayer, what do they need to see? You consistently going to God in prayer, believing that he answers prayer. If you want them to share their faith wherever they go, guess what they got to see? You sharing your faith because you really believe this wherever you go. You talk about God. You talk about his love. If you want them to value the corporate worship of God, guess what they have to see? You in corporate worship, and and if you want them to use their gifts for the glory of God, guess what they have to see? You using your gifts in and through the church. They need to see that worship of God and service to him and through the church. It is a priority to you. If you want them to be good stewards, then guess what they have to see in you? They have to see you living beneath your means, not getting everything you want right away. If you, want, if you want them to, to, to be generous, guess what they need to see? They need to see you being generous to the church and to this world. They need to see you being generous. If you want them to be fully devoted followers of Christ, even when we're not perfect, because I'm not asking anyone here to be perfect. I'm not perfect. None of us are perfect. But if, they, if, they, you, want to, if you want them to strive to be fully devoted followers of Christ, what do they need to see? They need to see you going for it with God. They need to see you going for broke with God, loving God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. And let me just tell you about perfection. None of us are perfect. 
They're not looking for perfection. Your kids, the kids around us, people are not looking for perfection. They just want to see authenticity. They want to see you calling out to God. They want to see you depending on God when things are difficult. They want to see you trusting God. They want to see you, that you're not going the opposite way, but you're trusting God. They want to see you being empowered by God and making through the trials in life. They know this is going to be tough, but they want to see you going through that. You want to let them see you being comforted by the Holy Spirit. Feel the comfort of God when you're down and explain that to them. Oh, look, look, I'm going through a tough time. It's not a, it's not, it's, it's not a secret. You know we're going through a tough time, but we're leaning on God today. We're thinking about his faithfulness today. And look, God is going to do something. He's done so much in, my, in our lives in the past. He's going to continue to do stuff in our lives today. And you don't shove it down their throats, right? That's not what I'm talking about because they'll reject that. But you want them to look at you and say, you know what? I want a faith like that. I want a faith like that. I want to be used by God like that. We want to be deliberate about replicating the value of our beliefs. In fact, I'll tell you what my dad told me was the favorite, his most favorite thing he ever heard come out of my mouth to him. Uh, I, one, one day I, I looked at my dad and I said to him, I said, Dad, I want to tell you something. I want to be what you are. And he looked at me and he said, no, you don't. And my dad's an electrician. And he's like, no, you don't. And I'm like, no, I want to be what you are. And he said, what am I? I said, you're faithful to God. You're faithful to God. And you're doing whatever God has called you to do. I want to be like that. And my dad said to me, to this day, that's the most precious thing he's ever heard. And honestly, that's what I would love my kids to say about me. That they want to they be like me in the sense that they want to be faithful to God like I'm trying. I'm not perfect. My dad didn't always, and he told me, that, I don't always feel like I'm that faithful to God. I'm like, that brings me comfort. <laughs> because I don't know, and you're that good, and I'm not always that faithful to God. I wish I was, but I'm not. But I think you're the best dad. You're the best dad that you can be in this whole wide world. And I want to be what you are. You know, I love that, that we don't always have to be perfect. It, we just, it brings me comfort that we can just try to be faithful with what we have in front of us. We're trying to figure it out. It's the truth. I know you may be sitting here thinking, oh, that's good for you, Pastor Abdi and Marie, you guys stupid little preacher people, all this perfection. But we don't have it all together. We don't. What you need to hear is that it's just not that clean in our house. It's not. I get overwhelmed. I get stressed. I get hangry. I get grumpy. Marie saying, amen. I get down. I get discouraged. I get attacked. I feel angry. And on and on and on. I have these moments. But the bottom line is that we've been trying to be deliberate about the right things. And with the help of God, even in, very, in a very imperfect environment, God is doing something really special. So you don't have to beat yourself up and say, okay, what was that first thing again? Our associations and the group we belong to. I, I, I can't even forget this. I can't even do this. No, you can do this. We will do this. Together, we will do this. And we can start right where we are, and we can be more plugged in to the church that seems to be the easiest thing. I'm into, you know, easy and high return, get more plugged into the church, have a high impact. It's a pretty big thing. And I can raise the level. 
Raise the level for, for, for our, our kids to reach for a little bit. I can ask for a little bit more. I can pull some more out of them. And you know what? I can take the value of my beliefs a little more seriously. And, I can, I, I, and maybe I, I, can, I, I can spend a little more time with God and I can let them see me reading my Bible and I can let them see me on my knees before God and praying. Because we're, we're not called just to live and die, you guys. That's not what our calling is in this world. We're called to pass something significant on to the next generation so we can be made to endure. And the good news is that we don't just do that individually, but we do that corporately. So it's not just my kids. It's not just your kids. It's our kids. It's our kids. It's not just my faith. It's not just your faith. It's our faith, right? This is our faith. And this is not my God and not your God. This is who? Our God. This is our God. And these technically, this is not my church and not your church. This is our church. And as the body of Christ, we can come together and with his help, we can introduce them and help them become familiar with the things that will help them find a first generation faith in Christ. And although we will not be perfect, we can be deliberate with those things that will help set them up for spiritual success. And when they do well, We're going to give God all the credit because the truth is he deserves it all, right? He deserves all the credit. We will not simply live and die with a very little legacy. We're going to pass this on. We're going to be made to endure, passing our faith on generously and righteously to the next generation.